0: figured out the people are plugged in electrically drugged in dopamine receptors function like iv drips that's click click clip. the masters act like nurses while hiding the glitch purpose keeping everyone lagged while they ride jacks bags and countries private banks in an inside out hospital flag hold you success is your own truth everyone benefits with hands on their own tools ideas of justice are from those who benefit the powers those powers are not you laws customs religions the government institutions are entire illusions cultures ideological function is to protect the class that owns the production
1: stuck in the matrix Welcome to the One Dime Podcast. Today we are here with Artin Salimi, a leftist hip-hop artist who has one of the favorite YouTube channels of mine right now, where he does some badass hip-hop songs where he explains theory and philosophy and somehow does it in a non-corny way. He also does readings, skits, and voiceovers of certain theoretical concepts over some of the most wonderful hip-hop instrumentals that I've heard, which he makes himself. You can find all those videos and songs in the description through the link to his channel. Artin, who are you and what the hell do you do? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show and for the
2: generous introduction. Um, My name is Artin Salimi. Um, I make stop motion animation videos uh, where two birds speak over either hip-hop instrumentals or rap over those uh, (laughs) those same beats and the whole idea is to connect philosophy in a way that's entertaining and information in a way that's manageable and you can kind of repeat it in your head without having to
1: um,
2: sift through pages and
1: pages of theory I really like the concept it's like a kind of propaganda art <laughs> propaganda in the positive sense like you know the, in the old sense all art was really propaganda to an extent but uh it's like a nice way of really like conveying ideas in an entertaining way like and surprisingly someone who's probably hearing this might be thinking to themselves hip-hop philosophy i don't know how these things can even go together it sounds pretty corny and honestly like i couldn't imagine anybody doing it corny but somehow you do it in a way that's like it doesn't just work it's like some songs actually like I would bump I'd recommend anybody like to to check it especially if you're into this kind of theory stuff that I do on this channel
2: appreciate you I guess for me the thing that really got me into philosophy and theory in the first place was artists like Akala which uh, I know that you're aware aware of Mm -hmm. and um, it was artists like that there's caller has this uh, track called "Fire in the Booth."
1: Yeah, I love that one. That one's that one's mad. It's like ten years old, like (laughs) seven years old or something. It's 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 a really long track too.
2: Long, right? And then I remember just sitting down, listening to it for the first time. And anyone I know who's heard it, you do not leave that track the same person you went into. (laughs) You know, you you just and that was really for me. a spark into theory and class, race, politics, you know, all these various intersections in society. And it was through hip hop, like many people, you know, many people, I'm sure um, they enter into questioning realities through listening to hip hop artists. And yeah. that's, that's, that's definitely been my, uh, the case for me is that, you know, like Satra's cool but Good Kid Mad City is going to change you very deeply after you listen to it
1: you know. And Sartre also can't rap yeah. <laughs> can't make you get turned. <laughs> no but uh yeah Ak- Akala is like a really incredible rapper for those who haven't heard as far as so-called woke rappers go some people might think of on a mainstream level, there's not really many, and some people might point to like Kendrick Lamar, who who I would say is really is really a fant- one of my favorite rappers. But in terms of pure knowledge, Akala is not just woke for a rapper; he's woke for any artist and just in general. He he's he's like the, the guy has read France Fanon. He's read about imperialism. He'll be dropping straight up history in your songs. Like you can like maybe maybe if you're not like super well read you could probably learn a lot (laughs) (laughs) just by listening to his music and at the same time just like have enjoyable experience but yeah he's an incredible lyricist and yeah I I recommend that. I noticed your flow when you rap you have a like a heavy influence with Akala I noticed noticed that immediately when I heard that that's a compliment.
2: Thanks (laughs) again when you look at he has a song called Thieves Banquet and on Thieves Banquet he basically plays the role of four people who he calls the greatest thieves of history, which are bankers, monarchs of empire, dictators of third world nations, and heads of religious orders, right? And I realized that the way a lot of the way that he flows is trying to pack in as much information as possible mm-hmm. in the smallest amount of space. And so that, and he does it so effectively, you know, to to be able to kind of weave in all these very small notions of uh, of reality into uh, into these uh, little little fibble chunks. Um, so yeah, thanks. I, I really appreciate that compliment.
1: There's not many rappers who can do that. I mean, when I was discovering a lot of rappers who were in that kind of domain, uh, I don't like to even say woke because it's it has a unfortunately a kind of derogatory connotation yeah, yeah, yeah but um but i mean in terms of just serious knowledge and like of substance mm-hmm. he's top tier for sure and there, there's other there's artists like i know people know more of who like immortal technique was one of my favorites who's also good but i would say akal is this on another level in terms of being consistent and packing in so much in terms of, and then there's rhyme schemes too people oh. who are I guess not complete hip hop nerds like us sometimes underappreciate in hip hop what is one of the hardest things to do is to have a very complex rhyme scheme and still pack in a lot of substance. Mm-hmm. Like people like Eminem, right, are really good at rhyming so many things together and they're one of the best at it, but often they kind of rap about nothing yeah <laughs> whereas like there's people like i think i would put akala on that list there's two others who i i like a lot uh aesop rock oof yeah yeah aesop rock oof. is incredible he's
2: like the more you think the more shit there is behind it right
1: <laughs> yeah like labor labor days oh man so good <laughs> impossible kid yeah great albums and also i would say uh, who's a little more famous who's also i really like is um lupe fiasco really really good hmm. rhymer yeah, I like I like um, um, I think it's called Tetsuo and Youth Mm-hmm. and mural. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's like yeah, that's an incredible song. And also his first album, um, totally forget what it's called, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure you know it's it's Food and Liquor, incredible album too. Yeah, like the, that's yeah. That's if anyone who, just who's like curious about this, who actually wants like you know hip hop with. Uh, substance and I don't know I don't I wonder how you feel about this because a lot of people assume a lot of things about hip-hop and to an extent they're kind of right um, that it's sort of a materialist genre uh, oversaturated with just hooks simplistic lyrics Mm kind of hedonistic materialistic etc but Mm -hmm. they kind of forget what where hip-hop came from it's i would say out as far as genres of music go it has a lot of has a big revolutionary taint to it and what what do you think about that
2: absolutely as in even even with the quote-unquote materialistic stuff like the beats still bang right like if you if you've had a couple of shots and you're listening to designer that stuff hits you different you might think it's stupid when you're sober and you're (laughs) walking around like oh what the hell is this guy talking about if you're you know if you're looking for a good time or there's a, there's a certain moment where, you know, it's a bit liminal, you know, you're out of your day-to-day life, you know, you're doing something, that kind of stuff, it, it hits you. And um, one of the advantages to not knowing English is exactly this, is that you can listen to a lot of this stuff and have a great time because you don't know it. Yeah, it's true. Enough. You
1: know what I'm saying? Be so crazy. Yeah, well, like so, some of the, some of the, yeah, exactly. Like that's an interesting point. Cause like music, rap music doesn't even have to be woke and there is like great, you know, substantive music, but it doesn't have to be, to be good for a certain time and place. Like there's some music, I don't know. I like to say like me and my friends, like say like bad, good music. They're not exactly good in the sense substantively and, and they are often lazy, but they have, they're like the best type of music for a certain time and places Absolutely. you said you mentioned designer for turning up for me that's future future exactly. incorporates exactly. a certain vibe that is this unmarked by it.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> 100%, yeah. 100%, you know and there's 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 a problematic notion actually and loads of loads of people have spoken about this about associating music with only the revolutionary aspect of music with only Um, the uh, out of pain, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we like to associate, uh, think that only pain can produce good music, essentially, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, that's, that's definitely not true. There's a lot of celebratory music. There's music that's, um, that's, uh, uh, you know, it it lifts the spirits in in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the, there's, there's, there is that notion, however,
1: and some music says good when you're on drugs, right? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> or drunk or whatever. Like, yeah, absolutely,
2: have ha, lowering the inhibition, right? So you're like feeling it. Oh man, I'm feeling this track, <laughs> it'll
1: make you feel like you're on
2: drugs, even if you're not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, that like I never like I very rarely listen to ASAP Rocky, but my friends love it. Oh, I love ASAP Rocky. Oh and my god, there's times where honestly if i just just zone in it feels you feel what he felt when he recorded it you know what i'm saying you're just feeling a bit looser more relaxed and like damn this is a good time
1: yeah it's like it's a weed music (laughs) that's what it is but it's there's a time and place for that i mean some people there's there's that in like so-called white music too it's just people might you know look less negatively on it because i guess like you know there's like a pc cleanliness associated with like white people but like for black people it's oh they think oh degenerate right but it's often like there's that and if you listen to like the beatles right the beatles well, not all their music is particularly woke a lot of it's just about being stoned for sure but that's that's, that's there's a time and place for it right absolutely.
2: and that that that's um, you, you hit on an interesting point which is the universality of whiteness right it's like uh, whiteness can be anything you know what I'm saying? It can be stoned, it can be serious, it can be all these things, whereas um there's certain restrictions, you know, to put as if 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 someone who's Arab, for example, mm-hmm. that have to behave a particular way. You know i yeah. There's yeah. an avenue that you can go through. You play traditional music and that's what you do essentially, you know. And that's 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 the category that they have, whereas whiteness has a lot of this aspect of being able to be universal, to see that, to see and become anything it wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's a good point.
1: There's and, a lot of performativity in that for sure. For sure. For
2: sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just back to that point you made about um, hip hop and politics and radicalism or uh, any kind of radical politics. There's an interesting idea that the greatest hip hop, and I think it's low key who said this. He said that the greatest thing that hip hop, hip hop can do is expose power. It can it can rap about, for example, the way the FBI um, works, the inner workings of the of the FBI. Um, Edward Snowden, you know. Um, yeah. These all of these very class warfare, you know, and it can speak, essentially. Hundred percent, and that's. Well, the- that's, that's, the, that's, that's the maximum. You know what I'm saying is that it, it just opens up a lot of these, uh, these kinds of avenues that people may not be familiar with.
1: You know what it, that made me think of? And it's actually a topic of a future video. But uh, I think one of the most un- underappreciated things, especially by white people, is, uh, and it's, like a, it's a derogatory term in and of itself, but the idea of coke rap. Right, mm-hmm. which is sort of a genre of um, hip hop music that's you know kind of raps about stealing, selling a uh, crack cocaine. That's I would say Jay Z, Biggie Smalls, Pusha oh, wow. T. The clips, those are like, uh, or nowadays, who, who one of my favorite uh, who are in this area is Griselda.
2: Um, I'm 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 unfamiliar. Would you recommend I
1: check them out? absolutely yeah like i mean it's it's you, you know what you're gonna get it's like it's coke rap but it's they rhyme very well and their their beats are incredible that's for me the selling point is like they have a certain intoxicating sample based
2: mm. type
1: music that i really really like i'm i i'm always samples over 808s for me Yeah. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so like i love that kind of music it's really interesting but one of people will often think like and this was especially the case in the early 2000s. Is they would blame rap music for why people are selling drugs or why people are committing crimes. But what they don't understand is that music is merely just a reflection of the economic conditions that I would argue, and I, I want to argue in a future video, is are produced by neoliberalism. Because like the quite literally, crack cocaine was drop shipped from Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Um, in in uh, the Reagan administration, and it's like it's doc. It's not even a conspiracy theory. Uh, it was um, what's his name Oliver North. Yeah, Oliver North admitted to it. I mean, it's like a it's a documented thing. And yeah. really, there there's so much. And also, there's of course unemployment that was really bad in the eighties, nineties, yeah. and these. And also, of course, there's what always existed and still exists is the implicit bias in hiring hiring people. The racial bias. Which <laughs> is is like statistically proven too, in like so many sociological studies is that employers are biased often against um like people who are, who are non white uh, in hiring implicitly even sometimes just by looking at their names <laughs> and uh yeah, like all these conditions I would say created coke rap gangster rap because a lot of people were like really desperate in those communities right like there's not much there 's not much opportunity, and sometimes would you, you can't even get like a minimum wage job. And even that, like a minimum wage job, if you get that, that's not going to provide for your family really. It's not even enough. So that, it's why it drives a lot of people to that. And what I like about the, the kind of, a lot of the coke rap music, not all of it, but particularly Jay-Z, early Jay-Z, Pusha T, is that they kind of, the ruggedness, the roughness exposes just how brutal the system is. And the way they paint it, it's not like, oh, you should sell crack. If anything, they kind of deter the listeners it's like it's what they're saying is like the system is so bad that i did this because and i had finessed through the, this rugged system of
2: course, you know? of course and i
1: kind of li- I, I i kind of really like what that represents if you know what i mean
2: mm-hmm. absolutely man was it a um, renegade or penetrate pop cl- culture bring them a lot closer you know to mm-hmm. the book where they you know and that that's 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 the narrative you know it's like journalism you're you're expressing it in a way that's so vivid and so good that the person listening can't not listen. They have to listen because it's so good, you know. Yeah,
1: and and it, and it gives people empathy too from outside of like what these communities are like. Like that, that's another interesting factor. I remember there's like a Jay Z lyric where he's kind of I think in his, it was in his fourth album or third album. But uh, it was one of the In My Lifetime albums. Yeah. <laughs> and when uh, he was rapping about that that stuff, and he said, he kind of like refuted the idea that, cause, that he was selling out, which, you know, to an extent kind of true, but also. But what he was saying is, he was saying, like, you're saying I sold out, but what I did is I brought this culture that white people didn't care about or know about to kind of. Like people wearing are wearing do rags and stuff. Yeah, (laughs) what you can say is like cultural appropriation and whatnot. But like what Jay Z was saying is that really um, what was kind of just considered fringe was being more understood. Yeah, it's definitely co-opted too. But yeah, like he, like a lot of people who probably wouldn't understand those conditions because if you watch like the media, all you see is oh, like black people are committing crimes and like why are they always doing that welfare queens? That was a big thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you hear like the music, you kind of see it from their perspective Mm -hmm. and that's not even, you don't see that in the media. Right.
2: Absolutely. Again, form of journalism. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. There's that quote also from, uh, I think devils in a a reasonable doubt. One of my favorite hip hop albums of all time by early Jay-Z where he said something like, um, the people who think about the underworld is easy, yeah. Like, exactly. You know, like like
2: the mechanics of the working of the underworld. Granted, nine to five is how you survive. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to live it to the limit and love it a lot. That is insane. Yep, man, that is absolutely <laughs> got it.
1: That should keep Better, up at night, man. I love that lyric because he's. It's like you know. It's not like uh, people might think that it's a cop-out, but like, like selling drugs is probably like a fucking, it's a big risk. You know, it's not like the easy route by any means, but sometimes it's like, it's comes out of a sense of desperation and also ambition Mm -hmm. to not put up with those conditions that like capitalism limits people to, right? And I think it encapsulates it well.
2: But there's a shift happening, or that has happened, right? Is that there's I'm sure you're, you've you've seen articles writing about this, where they're talking about how in the '90s, for example, you were seen to be an absolute idiot if you took the drugs that you sold. So if you're selling yeah. cocaine, you're not. You don't take cocaine. Like taking cocaine is seen as like a big no-no, right? <laughs> and, yeah, haven't. There's a slow change.
1: You don't get high off your own supply.
2: You don't get high off your own supply, absolutely. And, but there's a slow change that's happened where now, if we listen to a lot of artists, they're talking about consumption. They're not talking about production. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the, 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 the aspect of hustle has been replaced in a way that actually your consumption reflects how much of a producer you are.
1: You know, so, <laughs> well yeah it's like i, I would say that like, there's an interesting theoretical lens you could look at this with because like that is a really interesting shift is like we, we do we you know people will say that's with mumble rap but i would say it, it kind of took place like a little bit earlier i guess you could say kind of with little wayne mm, like little yeah, little well, okay. wayne's music and then after that and it was like less about you know saying I'm doing this for whatever, like to support my family or whatnot. It was kind of like, yeah, I'm getting off these drugs, man. And it's like, you you see that obviously with like mumble rap and stuff like that. It's like consumption. And and that's where you see all like the hedonism embodied. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's it's emblematic. A lot of what Baudrillard discusses in his work, kind of like the shift away from the like capitalism as a system of production, which Mm it is ultimately, but like, the shift in how cap- what drives capitalism is consumption, yeah. which materially you could say that was really ever since 1980s, but you could it was definitely manifested more in the 2000s because mm. by the 2000s, so much of production jobs were like shifted overseas to exploit the global south and Asia
2: right,
1: right. that um, you know like it became a, America's economy was fueled on consumption, and I think on a symbolic level the hip-hop music somewhat kind of embodies that it's like you know it's 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 consumption right it, it's it's in a neoliberalism and i think also mark fisher's work discusses in the oh, chapter yeah. called marxist super nanny yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and where where it's like the neoliberal mo- um, um motto is kind of you should always be enjoying yeah a- always enjoying and it's like you're doing something wrong if you're not enjoying you have to consume always have you know your best lifestyle whatever and like yeah it's less about you know hustling and it's more about you know just like it's representation kind of of like hedonism consumption all that it's not something new but i would just say like in the 2000s mid 2000s that's when it just manifested into that like that already existing trend manifested into hip-hop wouldn't you say
2: absolutely absolutely it's that um uh have you seen once upon a time in brooklyn very old movie Robert i haven't but i've heard of it and the kids are like the working man's a sucker because he hangs around with the mafia and then they tell him basically you know you don't want to be producing essentially you know you want to be wearing nice clothes you want to be drinking this you want to smoke this and um yeah there, there is this mentality of essentially that if of course this is a bit of a cliche but if you, if you don't have then you are less essentially the less you have, mm-hmm. the less you are, and the more and subsequently the more you have, the more you are and there's you know the, this, this trend again, you can see a change in post World War II America, where suddenly you had something like Playboy magazine, for example, which was considered to be crazy pre the war you know which, which was much more about rugged um, self. Uh, uh, self negation you 're not you 're supposed to be a hard worker who just doesn 't spend much isn 't frivolous, and yet suddenly there was a shift where suddenly it was okay for a man to take care of himself, for example, it was okay for a man to wear beach clothes to go to the gym and suddenly a lot of these shifts happened where as you say quite rightly, consumption became motive number one to keep the production going and Right now, we are we are witnessing this in music. You so like The Weekend,
1: for example. Mm-hmm. He I like the I like The Weekend, but he, yeah. he I think he he does reflect that in his music. Yeah. I think somewhat somewhat intentionally. What I'm about to say
2: about The Weekend is no reflection to his talent. The, uh, the guy. The, oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Um.
2: But yeah, the I can't feel my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the point where you don't even know whether it's a cry for help, whether it's a. Uh, 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 whether he's just showing up by the fact that he's done so much coke and he's living the lifestyle that everyone dreams of yet he's not happy and isn't that the story isn't that
1: yeah well i was about it i was about it right when you brought the weekend i thought of when mark fisher talks about depressive hedonia Hmm. or depressive adhedonia so like that's kind of like a play on the the mental condition which is called depressive hedonia which is that you can't get pleasure but depressive no depressive adhedonia is you can't get pleasure but he talks about depressive hedonia as more the condition of our time and that we can't, well, I guess you could say it's like a cultural uh, condition that's more and more and more pervasive that we can't get anything except pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's kind of also a condition of the consumer society. And like, as you're saying, that's totally embodied in, in Weekend's music. And I think like his best projects I found were is like trilogy the, in the first mixtape. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that music that what you need uh or a house of balloons yeah house of balloons. yeah so good like he, yeah it's kind of like it's it's also you know it's an extent showing off like oh, i'm living this but there's like an or he's not hiding the fact that he's, he's that he's depressed and he's in, in fact like crying for help <laughs> yeah it's like uh, it's like a, it's it's super dark i think my favorite song is definitely initiation mm. on on um on that whole uh, trilogy uh album yeah. is like yeah it's it's kinda like um it's it's the the thing about neoliberalism right is it is a consumer society and on the representational level we want to televise all the positive aspects but if there but it's also the source of much of our depression. Mm-hmm. And that's um there's another art one of my favorite thinkers who's kind of like German and Chul Han sorry German Mark Fisher his name is Byung Chul Han mm-hmm. uh, and he has the book called um, the uh, burnout society okay yeah and he talks about like excess positivity is like a problem <laughs> and like not yeah and it sounds like positivity. yeah and it's like in the sense that like everything like the the absent the um just overwhelming pressure to always enjoy i mean it's also kind of what zizek says right but also in general like literal positivity you know like how are you doing it's always supposed to be like great whatever and like you're on on social media you're always supposed to televise the good things one thing i do appreciate about the weekend is like while he's like showing off like he's kind of also showing like the the duality to it right yeah for
2: sure for sure which is like it's it's the kind of music you can imagine a soundtrack to where you're really drunk, but you had a bad time and you're walking home and you're like in in a state where you're, yeah, it, it it tells both sides of the coin. Essentially it tells you, yeah, like I'm materially satisfied. I'm uh, attractive. I'm this and that, but at the same time, this is the reality that comes with it. And uh, again, it's um, when I say reality that comes with it. Um, Again, noting back to Fisher, for example, where he talks about, I think this is one of my favorite bits of capitalism realism, where he talks about realness.
1: Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, yeah, I love that. That was about hip hop, right? Where he cites that uh, journalist. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Keep it real, right? Mm -hmm. That's
1: crazy. Like even even the time where it's like, well i would say that's like not even like yeah that that was that's definitely the condition of like i guess you could say hip-hop in the 90s 2000s but like then it became that kind of i think okay this is like all like it's funny because this is like a future topic of mine in my videos but like um you can give the kind of yeah the, the keep it real thing right that that in a sense is like it's still trying to preserve the reality principle and it's in a sense <laughs> modernist, but in the in postmodernism, as we get more postmodernist, that fizzles out completely, and there's not even pretending to be real. Like now you have six nine, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his... <laughs> no, this, is, this is the thing again with like Drake's Ghostwriter, all right. No one. Cares. Yeah, yeah. Nobody cares at all whatsoever. You know, back in the day there was repercussions. <laughs> now it's like, what? Let him do what he does.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's to an extent. I view this as like kind of a bad thing, but also kind of a good thing. I just see how it is. Like it is, it is what it is, right? But like it's in the case of ghostwriting, I, th- I would say it's probably a bad thing. But like I just find it funny with Takashi Six Nine. I think he's the quintessential postmodern rapper. Yeah. Because like the thing is, is yeah, he was obvi- he was trying to like seem gangster, but like no one believed it. Mm. And when what's so funny is that it turned out he kind of was he is he's about this life. <laughs> yeah but then people still didn't take it seriously yeah <laughs> and then when he, but what I found the funniest is the fact that when he snitched on everybody to kind of you know get himself out of prison mm-hmm. everybody thought that no oh, this is this is down for this guy's career like oh he's going to get killed he
2: made a song he, with as soon as he yeah kills. and
1: he's he's like more popular after <laughs> uh, exactly yeah. Yeah, it's like nobody nobody gives a shit. <laughs> yeah,
2: no one cares. And this is this is again, it's um, again, it's another cliche, but it's it's just the, the rapid pace of information. You know what I'm saying? Like nowadays, a stain doesn't really last too long. It comes today, gone tomorrow, and that's a lot of my friends uh, fear that with regard to um, the um, people trying to mess up Reddit, trying to mess up the hedge funds, right? Mm. Uh, that people are going to forget about it. Like there was, this, there was this collective action to make people lose billions. And uh, it was effective. And people are going to forget about it in a couple of weeks' time.
1: Yeah. I'd actually aim to talk about this, but that's actually, well, it's not really the topic of my next video, but I, my actual next video is on the stock market. Uh, it's not really about the GameStop thing because that's oversaturated, but I thought it's a good time to like talk about the stock market from a sort of Marxian perspective. We could. And and what it is and whatnot. But yeah, it's what's summary. Basically the stock market is, is, um, is welfare for the rich, Mm. right? (laughs) To a large extent, to a large extent is, And, and there is something interesting about, yeah, like the whole GameStop thing is that they're kind of using capitalism's own contradiction to sort of, stick it to the hedge fund managers because like in actual capitalism and the laws that exist, there's nothing actually stopping just a bunch of people from being like, yeah, absolutely. you know, fucking we're going to buy this dead stock <laughs> and, ma- and, and I'll make money from it.
2: Mailing people out is anti-capitalist because you remove risk. <laughs> so there's supposed to be risk involved. So there's, there's innovation and so other people can come and compete. But if you remove risk, then it's anti-capitalist. But yet again, it's, it's a contradiction that doesn't seem to be much highlighted.
1: Yeah. And also the idea that any, that's another thing I'm going to touch on is like the idea that everybody can just use a stock market like yes. meritocratically and get rich is a myth because by definition bubbles form when too many people buy one thing and there's no more, um, sellers, there's no more buyers, and it's only like sellers left, and then the bubble collapses like in one day. That's what happened in the '90s, '99, uh, yep. 2000. So it's like, yeah, it's like a myth that like it's meritocratic because like these can form. But it is funny that like back to what we were saying about the reality principle, the kind of principle of like the, the principles dying to the extent, and like that is, that is funny because the, with the GameStop, in, in in actuality, there's nothing really stopping a bunch of people from just buying a dead company and just being like, <laughs> you know, we're going to make some bucks and like, fuck you guys hedge funds. But like, there's all these like, you know, economic, uh, neologisms, like efficient market hypothesis, or the idea that stocks are somehow related to the company's value. Do that is a complete myth. Like look at Tesla. Okay. Tesla, I would looked up is like worth more than all of the car companies combined. Who do you know drives a Tesla? Tesla is a cool <laughs> yeah. by the way, but like, it's, it's like, the, it's like simulacrum, if you know what I mean. Exactly. Like stocks are a form of simulacrum. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: And six nine is the simulacrum of hip hop artists. <laughs> 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 but yeah, um, changing the subject. Since you were talking about your influences, I'm curious who your top ten favorite rappers are. In terms of just not who you think are the best, maybe objectively, but just who you, who your favorites are. Sure. Like top ten all time. Top five, top five, top 10 is a little hard.
2: Top five. Sure. So um, yeah. I just have to say, so my, my, a lot of my favorite rappers are actually Iranian rappers, but um, I, I won't mention any of those, but if anyone has the time who's listening to this, just check it out. It will change your life. Even though you don't understand it, um, top five English speaking rappers, um, I definitely have to put Kendrick, um, Loki, Akala... Um, oh Sweatshot man forget it, forget it. I, I keep forgetting him every time I mention this. But he's on mine too. He actually w- was a big influence on me and probably Getz as in Getz is a grime artist from London mm-hmm. and um, but he's the best He's the best in his uh, of his craft, you know. And um, anyone who's listening, you've probably heard of the other four, but uh, gets G H E W T S, um, check him out. He's amazing, amazing, amazing.
1: Yeah, um, I'll have to. I'll have to get you to send me those Iranian rappers after, because I'm curious. Oh. Like I didn't even know there was an Iranian rap scene.
2: Oh, yeah, it's 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 absolutely out of here, man. It's a form of resistance, you know. It's it's uh, it's anti. Uh, again we'll, we'll 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 get on to that we'll get on to that um who are you at top five
1: okay so well you mentioned one of them earl sweatshirt is like one of my favorites at least of like this generation's rappers yeah for sure like he's an incredible lyricist uh very introspective yeah like did, that was definitely like great music for me when i was younger especially i still like it um after that i would say uh, common between common and most deaf, but I would choose common mm-hmm. out of like 90s rappers because common has such a better discography, like a bigger discography, sure, sure, sure. And not all of it's great, but I would say he has like four amazing albums that I love. Like B, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, produced by Kanye, Resurrection, that's a slept on album by common. Resurrection, I think, is when common is that is most lyrical. Like people forget, they think, I think ever since he became an actor, there was sort of like a <laughs> ice cube effect that happened you know like people just don't take you seriously when you become an actor i guess yeah <laughs> like i yeah and he kind of yeah he became like whatever hollywood and normie but like he's like he was like about he was like one of the, like a really good rapper like lyric like a uh, impeccable lyricist <laughs> and uh, with a lot of substance too like i think resurrection uh incredible incredible songs on that album and uh, also the water, like water for chocolate. It's another classic.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, like a uh, common is up there for me. Uh, then after that, uh, I would say Danny Brown. That's my wild oh, card. Danny <laughs> the guy. He, <laughs> the guy. And the worst
2: thing is I can't get people to listen to him. I yeah, he's, about, he's no, a grower. Listen to this. Listen. <laughs> and they're like, dude, what do you hear? The guy's just talking nonsense. I'm like, no, but listen.
1: yeah he's like there's it's hard to really it's like death grips right it's really hard to get people into um danny brown because he has like a a really annoying voice but what people don't get is when he has that like kind of like voice like looney tune on crack voice
2: yeah
1: his what he's it's kind of like it's an it's a it's performance art so like he when he does that voice He, yeah, he's trying, he, he's like on drugs when he's, he's supposed to be on drugs anyway, when he's um, doing that voice. His actual voice is like completely different. And he, uh, he uses both of them in his music. Like his music is like some of the, I think I'll say flat out the best performance art in hip hop yeah. and like the way he kind of, um, you know, describes and not just, not just in his words, but also in the beats he chooses, puts it together, the flows, Basic. just the, uh, yeah. the The embodiment of intoxication
2: yeah exactly he reminds me of um did you ever play crash bandicoot
1: yes oh my god (laughs) yeah like just a straight adhd yeah
2: (laughs) exactly (laughs) you should definitely do a music video where he's like the the aesthetic is like a 90s playstation one game i think that would be crazy
1: (laughs) You know, he is like such a weird character because it is like some kind of like like a cartoon character, like in a like you'd find in like Robot Chicken or something. Like you know, like <laughs> late, late night, like the kind of cartoons you're not supposed to be watching. <laughs> exactly. okay. um, like, are you into Beth Gripsman? Yeah, yeah. Oh sick. I like The Money Store the best for sure.
2: Yeah, Money Store is amazing. It's, it's they're, hard. They're, it's hard to find Beth Grubbsmans these days
1: yeah well they're, they're hard to get into like I used, to, I used to think like Death Grips was just like hipster and stuff that people pretended to like to be cool <laughs> or whatever but like like I always was just confused because I had a friend who used to listen to all kind of weird shit and some of it was like terrible like I don't know if you heard of the viper no 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 but
2: I definitely definitely fuck with Death Grips everyone I think that that stuff is just crazy and the, the best thing about it in my opinion is that no album is alike You know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) such a shift in the way that the music's produced. And I think that's just incredible, man.
1: Yeah, I like I like them both. They're they're completely different. But uh I would say okay, after Danny Brown, I would put it's it's between I would say I would say atmosphere. Atmosphere is the guy who signed to Rhyme Science? Am I right? Yeah, he owns Rhyme Sayers. He owns Rhyme, he owns Rhyme yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they started, it was like that, like MF Doom signed to that label. It's like a independent, like.
2: Um, Anyone who's who needs to be a genius can join kind of shit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I th- yeah, it's it's really good. Like Atmosphere, it's like a group, but it's like the rapper is is um, Slug, who's an incredible MC, like introspective, it's like a very different thing he represents if anything i would say he's kind of like the midwest working class type music
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it's not like it's not like you people might think of that they might think of i don't know like yellow wolf or like machine gun kelly but that's not at all like this guy can like rap <laughs> really well like he can rap really well and it's also like it's storytelling like there's <laughs> machine gun <Kelly>. yeah, Yellow Wolf. <laughs> <sighs> If I had to give one more, I would say it is Lupe Fiasco. Lupe is sick.
2: I got turned mm-hmm. onto Lupe real late, though. Really oh. late. So like when
1: he was bad? <laughs> his third cause his third album was like the that's like his famous one. That one's like whack as hell. He even admits it's whack. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, I got turned <laughs> on late. But um I'm slowly, slowly getting there. Slowly getting there.
1: I would say the first album and then the um, honestly actually his last album is really good too the one about slavery
2: hmm.
1: that one's really really good too it's like, it's like a genealogy of like slave trade yes.
2: it's, actually,
1: it's like a crazy concept
2: amazing, like that. yeah he, he was always my friends often say this they say that he would have been Kendrick if he just came out a couple years later like he was too soon for his own good
1: yeah, that will yeah, I think that's also why um he's a bit kind of salty and always has something to prove. Is yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> because he like he does ha he doesn't get the credit he quite deserves because I think at the same time he didn't really get recognized on a mainstream level because people forgot about him after his hits and because of his few hits, which to be honest aren't like bad, but they're kinda like whatever. It's like he has one album that's like sounds super like mainstream, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And like Poppy and death. And, uh, he kind of lost a lot of like respect <laughs> back when the reality principle <laughs> exactly. still existed.
2: Exactly. See, this is this is again, and also because he wasn't in the kind of social media age, where you can just like shift. Like I feel like during that time, during that era, there was only two options for you at that point. If you are a quote unquote conscious rapper, you either make Lil Wayne tunes or yeah. you just go ground, you know what I'm saying? Whereas, like, and that's soon after there was this kind of much more of a blend that happened, which is why you get people like Kendrick, in my opinion. Who I really yeah,
1: think. really. That 2010 to 2013 mm-hmm. time, like Absol, uh, Danny Brown, Earl Sweatshirt, even like Mac Miller, like Mac. Early Mac Miller is whatever like college pop, but like, I would say Mac Miller like got really good after his like fourth or third album. Mm-hmm. It was a really I, I like that era a lot. For sure, man. For sure. Who are your top five producers? Because you make your own beats, uh, which for anyone who doesn't know the process, it's, it's not just hard to rap well, it's hard to do both. So I have major respect for people who also make beats and rap. So who are your influences when it comes to producing?
2: Okay, so I'm going to tell you my favorite producer of all time. And whoever's listening to this, write this down and listen to his music. It's uh, Mahdiar, M-A-H-D-Y-A-R. Mm-hmm. Last name, A-G-H-A-J-N-I. And he was the first producer at the age of 16 mm-hmm. to make the first Iranian hip-hop album and produce the entire thing. Like he's like a prod- prodigy. What? And he was the first person mm-hmm. to use... The entire album is made purely from traditional Iranian instruments that he sampled.
1: Sampling, to me, like, I always, the reason why I like sample-based music is because I also like older music too. So when I see like old music being kind of reworked into like, a completely new tune, it's just some of the most beautiful stuff.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And he's a leftist, which, which, which adds to the, to the glamour. And he actually has his most recent album is called Seized and it's Mm -hmm. all this kind of concept but um he basically after that era he started to make so he started to mix like dubstep with traditional iranian instruments in a hip-hop beat you know so he's just constantly bringing universe forget worlds universes together in his music and that's that's my most inspiring thing is to like bring something from various like electronic with traditional and just create something crazy um so yeah that's definitely number 1 um, Ash Kusha makes um makes some of the most crazy like he 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 describes it as he makes music that computers can can enjoy <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's kind of like if ai was to listen to music this is the kind of music they they listen to um really interesting um Kanye West of course the mm. the king, um, I can't really think of anyone who, who's flipped samples that well. Um, I really, he produced uh, B, so it was really good. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, Jay Cole, man, I'm not gonna lie to you. Jay Cole, yeah? is an amazing producer, amazing producer, man. Like mm. God's gift is one of the craziest samples. It's just like a Portuguese woman singing. And the way <laughs> he's just flipped this to sound like the most evil thing on the planet was just insane. Um, so yeah, interesting. J. Cole, yeah, J. Cole's definitely up there. And um I would also put see, producers is much more difficult, man. Um, um,
1: what about Madlib? He's one of Madlib is is uh, one of my top five.
2: For sure, for sure. Madlu. Like uh,
1: the, the producer for MF Doom, yeah, uh, yeah wow. he's incredible. Wow. And he, Freddie Gibbs, like I also really like Freddie Gibbs because of the albums that uh, medley produces for him. Yeah, or like like Pinata, oh, so good, crazy.
2: I I, I put Lotic as number five, L O T I C, and um, they make like yeah, it's Lotic. it's out of this world out of this world man like like this this is the kind of music that when i'm really into it i feel like it's, it's one of those out of body experience kind of kind of moments man like the music just takes you there. it's really really wow
1: so low tick like l-o-w l-o-t-i-c
2: yeah and they have um like it's uh, I have to also warn the audience and yourselves um, this is not easy listening this isn't like oh let's let's put on a track this is like heavy shit um, and I definitely recommend uh, the song called underneath it's yeah just just check it out on nice How
1: yeah you from yeah I'd say Madlib Alchemist Alchemist is uh-huh. like I love his Alchemist samples he's done some stuff for Griselda too uh, that coke rap i was telling you about as well as no id i really like you know oh, ID did a lot of work for Co- common yeah, yeah, yeah uh and from atmosphere premiere dj premiere you're a classic uh, primo no, you're a classical lover <laughs> yeah. of and also I, I really like pharrell like pharrell was like big oh, on my childhood oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like I, lo- I love the neptunes and i also really like clips like P- Pusha t's original group yeah yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. Uh, the, those two albums are amazing like pharrell has some way of uh just you know making you move <laughs> yeah for sure really, it's, really, yeah. it's really nice but yeah um you you um, you are like i know this of course because we were talking and you also brought up many iranian rappers you come from an iranian background yeah um what did how is how has that shaped your views politically and also is there any perspective that you would like to bring when it comes to politics in iran especially as a uh, it pertains to leftism because i think there's like I, I don't know as much about the situation as I would like to beyond a little bit. And I'm sure most people just don't know at all beyond, of course, U S Iranian tensions. Yeah.
2: So, um, Iran had a leftist particle to death, which was the communist party before the revolution. And they were very much those, the majority of the faction was pro soviet So it was still during that time where, you know, USSR and whatnot had mass credibility, and this was supposed to be a way forward. Um, but one of the things that they didn't necessarily have as much was the, the charisma of someone like Khomeini, mm-hmm. who was who the leader of the revolution, and also the kind of ability to draw out religious fervor so, I have a video called um, How Heidegger Influenced the Iranian Revolution. Yeah, and it's I, a I, video. And I kind of allude to that in this, in that, you know, um, the communists at the time had a very materialist perspective. They believed in history as a form of uh, mechanics, essentially. And, they and also
1: anti religion, right? And anti. Probably didn't
2: go, go well. <laughs> Which in the Middle East, you have to be nuanced. I don't care yeah. if you're the most Marxist motherfucker out there you have to be (laughs) honest about people's beliefs and the fact that especially during that time people were moving from rural areas into cities that's culture shock that's Mm. massive shock right and so if there's someone who represents all of you know modernity and someone who's able to tell you that they're going to flip at the clock (laughs) then that that seems very appealing and um Essentially, one of, the, one, of, one of the main kind of um, things that brought, him, brought Khomeini out was this idea that he was able to record his lectures. He was an exile in Iraq. Hmm. Um, and he would record his lectures on cassettes and tapes. And those tapes would flood uh, the streets and the mosques. And so you're just listening to someone who's telling you about what's going wrong but also the way that there's going to be a solution to it. Very much in the same way that these days, a lot of Iranian rappers and artists will put their music up on SoundCloud and talk about Mm. issues of society. And people feel the problems and are able to kind of navigate it. Although it's not like a lot of the... A lot of the hip hop isn't religious in any sense, you know. There's, there's it's, it's well,
1: And it isn't isn't some of it also pretty anti-state? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. But but not it can't like for those people who are outside of the country. They're able to be as, you know. Yeah. yeah. As up, yeah. as they <laughs> want, but if you're in Iran, then you can only talk about social issues.
1: Interesting. Uh, Speaking of just political thought in general, and because we did top fives, I'm curious what your top five favorite theories slash philosophies thinkers broadly are in terms of just who influences you politically in terms of how you think, or even philosophically more broadly, because you cover a wide array of thinkers on your channel, uh, Mm -hmm. such as Nietzsche, uh, George Lukács, Laclau, and Mouffe, Baudrillard, Hegel... Uh, more uh, more broadly, who who influences you?
2: Uh, Marcuse is a huge influence on me. Nietzsche. Um, I would say Marx, but I would I, I would be lying because I've read much more Marxist theorists than Marx. Like I've read more theorists than actual Marx and stuff, So I, w- I wouldn't say. Um, I
1: I've, I have read some Marx, but like the thing is, is I I've I learned most of my Marx actually from David Harvey. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I found it a lot easier, <laughs> and also Terry Eagleton has really good stuff, yes. and also like the Marxist angles, reader stuff like that. Because like Marx is, like like just being honest, like at least in terms of capital, it's so boring to read. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely, it wouldn't it wouldn't survive today's publications. They've got to like, come on man, jazz it up. Um, who else? Um, I would say. Derrida definitely, Derrida really? fucked me up, man. Yeah, Derrida a wow. I always say um, when I'm when I'm too certain about things, I read Derrida. When I'm too uncertain, I read Nietzsche, and uh, so mm. I try and find a balance there. Um, Interesting.
1: I would say that's like Foucault for me. The uncertain. <laughs> yeah because like order of things that's what kind of what order of things did to me like you know when people say history has always been like this or whatever this like history is i i will never utter such a sentence ever <laughs> oh, <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> yeah it's like you just notice all the contradictions and stuff and yeah. like how we make assumptions yeah that's good but derrida that's a hard thinker to get in get into i haven't read him directly i i've read a guide on him that's about it mm-hmm. uh, i plan to get more into him but he's just like like very difficult to read <laughs> from what I've heard anyway. It's like, it's like he just writes in metaphors.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And, and his, his, the diff, his form is part of his philosophy. You know, it's, it's, it's supposed to make you think differently, but not, not in the, in a way that, you know, when you sometimes you read something and it's different knowledge to what you're used to, like this isn't just different knowledge. It's like a whole other language that you're reading. And
1: when Yeah, you, it's like it's like new goggles, would you say that that's how I view theory more broadly? It's like it's not knowledge, it's like it's like ways of viewing knowledge. Exactly,
2: exactly. And these these very different you know, he has like epistemic terms within his text. And you're just mm. it that I feel like that dizziness is part of Derrida.
1: Mm. You know. Who else would you say? You said Nietzsche, um um, Derrida, uh, uh Marx. Who else?
2: Um,
1: well, I find it funny that it's, um, you said Nietzsche cause uh, I, I also really like Nietzsche, but for me, the reason I put kind of Foucault gives me what, like huh? in terms of what, what I like about Nietzsche is in Foucault. Do you know, if you know what I mean? Like, so what I like the most, what my favorite texts of Nietzsche is genealogy of morals. Oh yeah because and it's that i went a catholic school <laughs> which wasn't like super like you know super religious or anything but i remember just i could never like, go to mass exactly. again after that exactly. and, and then but also i just hated like a lot of philosophy like because i think i, I don't i always hated my least favorite part of philosophy has been ethics mm. and i i kind of i always feel like ethics you know is like to an extent, it has so it's just water, it's muttered, um, it 's water it 's there 's so much muddy waters with it, and it 's so subjective and it 's often just used by people in power, which is why I like foucault right it's like Foucault kind of shows how like a lot of supposed knowledges or norms are just you know ultimately like you know established by people in power and you know circulated and maintained for the purpose of maintaining a power
2: exactly,
1: exactly. right and, and, and I feel yeah Nietzsche does that early on, and it 's also like I find the left needs some Nietzsche in general because like, I don't think you can critique capitalism morally. Like moral critiques are so useless. Capitalism has no morals.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's part of his writing. Like when I read Nietzsche, there are times where I have to put the book down. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm literally, I'm just like, you know, and that, that it is because the form is really powerful. And if anything, Nietzsche is really good in terms of form because it 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 doesn't. A lot of leftist writers, in my opinion, they zigzag on issues, so they'll have like one, and then instead of elaborating on it, they'll move to another. Whereas Nietzsche is like, okay, this is an onion. You're gonna. He's easy to read, for sure. and I'm just gonna peel this onion until we get to its core. I'm not gonna move from this onion, you know. And he he's able to just clarify after each paragraph, which is just crazy, you know?
1: I find Nietzsche is like the way I describe him is he's like the easiest to read, but so easy to be misunderstood. Yeah, <laughs> and that's like Freud too. I think it's because like a lot of people can just pick up his work and find ways. Because he did, he I would say politically, he's super contradictory. Because I would say while he's like super anti-left, right, and you show that in your recent, your recent like uh, with George lukash's yeah. analysis. And I like that was interesting because I always knew he was reactionary. That's kind of why I didn't really like his mm-hmm. political views. It's sort of elitist, you know, a little bit kind of. In many ways, individualistic fetishizing of like the Ubermensch and yeah, and, like, exactly and all of that. Like I always found it's like, oh man, like the worst people are gonna read this and they're gonna be like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, oh. <laughs> like it's some it's like honestly, like to an extent, like kind of dangerous. Like, like literally, I know it's like it can really induce a Dunning-Kruger effect because like some like person who's like kind of like you know not not the brightest bulb, like might just go read that and they're like, yes, yeah, <laughs> like so there's a lot of problems i have with it but i like that 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 video
2: in the in the in the 20th century oswald mosley hitler Mussolini, all the
1: fashion (laughs) jordan peterson loves nietzsche and i find that so bizarre because (laughs) like i mean in terms of like peterson's kind of moral philosophy or whatnot or like and also like his truth like his idea peterson always talking about like truth
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> or like, don't. It's so much of like I could see Nietzsche would probably devote so much like just ripping apart uh, Twelve <laughs> Rules of Life. It's like it's so sure. yeah. It's it's fun. It's funny. Like a lot of people who, it's because he's contradictory, right? His political views are, I would say, right wing. But Nietzsche, I, I I argue this many times, is that he's the first postmodernist
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because he's like a modernist philosopher right but what i mean is he's like one of the first anti-modernity
2: oh yeah yeah, yeah. you're you're looking at you you're looking at history with with lenses and he just comes and takes those lenses away and you're just naked you're just looking at things in a completely vulnerable way because he's taking that tool of analysis away where you
1: can create these grand gestures you know what i'm saying and he completely leaves you with a sense well, of- it's like post-structuralism too, right? With words, like you will never think like, say, oh, I, do you think this is good or bad? Or, you know, when people have like, you know, surface level conversations and using terms like um, that they're not, they're using so many terms to make assertions that they don't even know what these terms mean For sure. in a historical sense or how they're using them. It's like, it depends. It's these terms didn't mean the same thing. And I, I always like... I always like how he like traces the genealogy of words like you know, strong, right. You know, kind of, yes. yeah, it's really good stuff.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, Do you, did you think of any others? Cause I have, I have some <laughs> uh, mine that are pretty easy.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Hit me up with the old one.
1: Well, I'd say number one for me is definitely Baudrillard. Yeah. Uh, because I've never read a thinker like Baudrillard and, le- and legitimately been uh, just, I didn't view anything the same ever again.
2: Don't you find it very depressing?
1: Yeah, but I don't, that's why I don't really read philosophy to like, you know, not uplift your spirit. <laughs> yeah, and it's, if you're trying to do that, like your philosophy is not for you. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's like if anything, baudrillard's kind of a Nietzschean too. Uh, yeah, like like the way Foucault is, because you know a lot of all the postmodernists. A lot of them, well, most postmodernists didn't even describe themselves as that. But and some of them, I wouldn't even say are really postmodernists. Like, I don't think Deleuze is really a postmodernist. I don't really think Derrida to an extent. But I would say like the real postmodern theorists are Baudrillard and Foucault because they really make you question reality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. truth as a whole, like objective. And the thing is, is, when I when I first started reading Baudrillard, I I was mind blown by a lot of things. But there's still like there's one part of Baudrillard most people don't get and i still didn't get at the time and when i got this which i didn't really understand this till i read the perf the uh what's called the intelligence of evil I haven't and heard. also passwords and uh simulations which is like the little version of simulacra and simulation okay,
2: okay.
1: so because like i find if you just do simulacra and you'll get some but there's there's one thing i just totally it's hard it's like very counterintuitive but the thing is is baudrillard is, doesn't you know, he's not mourning the death of truth and reality and like, oh, technology bad, media lies. Mm-hmm. What Baudrillard describes as the thing, and this is so counterintuitive, and he, he's more explicit about it in his later works because in his later works, he kind of repeats the same thing in different ways, but it's because he wasn't clear mm-hmm. in Simulacra and Simulation. And as a result, you have so many people totally bastardizing
2: mm-hmm.
1: his work. So like, what he's saying is like, there's too much real. Yeah, everything is realized, you know, like if the way I would look at it, like There's less thing room for imagination. Everything can be televised realized made into a quote-unquote reality And there's a dead what is dying from reality is reversibility and illusion illusion is the reversibility So we get what he calls non-conflictual reality or integral. So it's like if you look at it like this way um kind of Everything is real. I don't, I like to use social media, but even though he was writing before it, it's just so much easier to exemplify, but sort of everything being mediatized, televised, there's no reversibility in the illusion where it's like, when you look at it, like when you read a book, when you read a book, a large part of it is illusion. There's a low level simulacrum in the sense that words are explaining something, but you have to imagine the stuff in your head.
2: Yeah.
1: You have to conceptualize it, Mm -hmm. but everything realized, it's like, you'll notice like how relevant that is to our time and how terrifying that is
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and
1: how i think movies like the social dilemma completely get it wrong it's like they'll say oh we're losing our democracy oh we don't believe in truth and it's like you know like they kind of they they miss it they're like oh you know we just need to log I, off I, our phones I,
2: I haven't seen it what's it about
1: it's about kind of the well it tet it it, it touches upon a real issue it's on netflix but it's about you know social media making people depressed kind of uh the far-right populism stuff like that post-truth but yeah i don't want to go too much on Bodyard, but definitely like i would say he's also someone marxists need to read too because i think if you focus too much on like quote-unquote reality
2: Mm. in
1: political analysis you might actually get sidetracked Yeah. yeah like um some people will say oh, well, Trump's not like fascist in the sense because Obama did the same thing. So if Trump's a fascist, Obama's a fascist. Well, it's like, no, it's like Trump's like, fascism has always been kind of like rhetoric, right? Ideological rhetoric, like us versus them, other. And Trump's kind of like a simulated parody (laughs) of fascism in many ways. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Again, if you you were to recommend one text from Baudrillard, what would you recommend people read?
1: Hmm. um intelligence of evil or the perfect crime because those ones kind of like really i think get his point across easier okay there's also passwords where he sums up all his concepts but it's i would say the perfect crime and definitely um intelligence of evil for sure those either of those
2: cool 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 they're
1: they're not that they're not that long but simulacra and simulation is so easy to misunderstand
2: I've I've been recommended Intelligence of Evil, which is such an amazing title, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, it's really there's a, there's a guy who reads. He does something similar to what you do. You because you know how you like in your last one, you're kind of reading a bit of Lukash and also giving your takes. What with your instrumentals, mm-hmm. there's a guy I really like and um, called Steady Delta.
2: Okay,
1: uh, he does music. I, I've plugged his stuff a bit. Uh, his um, he. He basically reads, like, texts. He reads some Baudrillard, DeBoer, and, like, people like that. And um, he, he does, like, his cool, like, ambient music behind it.
2: Okay. And he
1: has one chapter of Intelligence of Evil in there. Oh, like, really? if you want a sneak peek uh, for any of the listeners as well, like, <laughs> that, that, it's, like, you'll it's, – it's so intriguing. You'll probably understand only, like, 20% if, or less. But that's enough to already be very, you know, interested.
2: Okay. Wicked. Cool. i'll check it
1: out uh, did you think of any others
2: philosophers
1: yeah or theorists broadly thinkers because um, for I, me i also i also really like lacan
2: oh I, I see this is the thing i used to be really into psychoanalysis um but that's kind of wavering as i'm getting mm. um why is that mainly because it's um i don't know it, it, there seems to be a level of complexity that psycho, like psychoanalysis, makes me feel very comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like it. Because, what? Because because it explains phenomena theoretically.
1: You know? I find it the opposite. It's like I could never look at if I, if I if I if I look if you if you like learn about Lacan and Freud and then you then you start, you know, I don't know if you get start getting some concepts and then you go through your old like your camera roll. Your photos, and you'll look at your, you'll just look at yourself so different. You'll be like, "Oh man!" Exactly. You'll, you'll know exactly what you were thinking. Yeah, and you also read people better. You might read yourself better. I find it like it's it's not comforting at all, but it's like it's useful. It's, I think it's really ah, practical.
2: What I mean, what I mean by comforting isn't feeling good, but it's mm. like having answers to things. You know? Ah, what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I, yeah. It, it, it intellectual comforting, like it 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 provides answers to things where you're like, "Oh, okay, this is that." You know, it might be True. a horrible fact, it might be an awful fact, um, but it provides a certain um, level of answers, and these days, like, shit is just so complicated. Like, when, if when I look into anything in detail, I just get in, I just get too bewildered, you know what I'm saying? Like, everything mm. has so many different layers, there and there's so many different aspects of interpretation. It doesn't mean that materially these things aren't, quote-unquote, real, but the the level of analysis and interpretation that you can take from it. Um, I generally just uh, try and not fix it and say, this is it. Absolutely. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Well, I would
1: say it's also kind of, doesn't it open up more answers? Uh,
2: Psychoanalysis.
1: And and philosophy more, but the thing is, I think Lacan definitely brings more answers. Cause like I would, you know, who I like to juxtapose a lot is, Carl Jung versus Lacan because I think one of the things I don't really like about Jung although I'm not as well read as I'd like to be Mm -hmm. it's just my sort of impression (laughs) from guides and especially the type of people who kind of say they like Jung is is that it tends to give answers to things like it's like oh this is your these are the archetypes yeah, this is that's your that's purpose happening. this is like, oh no this is just your shadow manifesting i yeah. like, oh, i, I kind of i just don't i always hate that kind of late capitalist spirituality absolutely. if you know what i mean absolutely absolutely like, I'm definitely. About that. yeah <laughs> but whereas like lacan it's like dark as hell yeah.
2: It's, it's yeah 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 it's, it's, there's no there's no um catharsis it's just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> that goes through but again this is uh with with regards to psychoanalysis I think that the one thing that it does definitely, it definitely um, helps with, in my opinion, for me anyway, is it allows you to see where you might be bullshitting yourself. Cause I'm true. At, I'm really good at bullshitting myself. And so it, well,
1: anyone who's been in like, gra- like grad school, I'm sure, or a university <laughs> in general, like, yeah,
2: like, <laughs> or,
1: or honestly job interviews, man.
2: Exactly, exactly, exactly. You just have to perform, right? And,
1: well, there's, a, there's an artist, there's a, there's a thinker, I, I don't want to drop too many names, but there's a thinker whose whole project is that, if you're interested, is Aravind uh, Goffman. Aravind uh, Goffman. Yeah, the Presentation of Self of Everyday Life. Uh, that's He's like, a, oh my, like, I'm telling you that, that is exactly what you're describing. You'd be so interested in that. <laughs> that changed my whole life. <laughs> Wicked, okay, cool, cool. I'll definitely give it a read. Is
2: it's, it's a contemporary
1: he's dead but uh he's a canadian theorist of the 60s 70s uh but he's he's pretty famous he's like in sociology i think he's mandatory
2: okay okay, sick, sick.
1: Yeah. okay yeah. yeah it's 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 pretty rad no but um you said like in terms of psychoanalysis there is like a kind of school of thought that kind of attacks psychoanalysis a lot which i find interesting but i wouldn't say i know enough to really like explain it to people that well everything but like i've been really into deleuze and guattari exactly yeah
2: yeah and
1: they, and they kind of had they, they attack psychoanalysis pretty hard
2: yeah exactly um, I, yeah. i've i've tried to read um anti-oedipus and i just don't get it right. so
1: yeah i me too man like i actually yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so difficult like um yeah i really had there's this there's todd may who's like kind of a guy who writes guidebooks um type of stuff like that but he has an intro to Deleuze, and that's what helped me because anti is this impossible i mean in my I, I i touched on Deleuze a bit in my um psychology of fascism video yeah uh in in that video really the reason why i did that is because there's a few articles i read which kind of tied wilhelm reich yeah who then originally that video was just on wilhelm reich because mass psychology of fascism is one of my favorite videos favorite books uh, uh and um I just kind of saw a link but one thing I didn't really clarify in that video is that when Deleuze and Kajari talk about desire they're not talking about sexual desire mm-hmm. like they they look at desire in a like libido in a very kind of broad sense like exactly, exactly. What, the, what what makes sense to me is like kind of like you know dopamine to an extent like y- your drive
2: yeah. yeah 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 and again that's that's one of the because again with with lacan one of the and in terms of in terms of desire i totally get it right because lacanian in, in a lacanian sense and it's very buddhist in a way
1: yes yeah i've been saying that yeah exactly because of lack like that's a core buddhist concept is nice. desire stems from lack right
2: precisely and for me in my life that's very much the truth it's like there's there's an aim, there's a goal. I get there and it moves. The signpost is constantly moving. And so there's no satisfaction and all that kind of stuff. And the grass is always greener on the other side, X, Y, Z. But it's in, But there is an element where you could say that this could potentially naturalize certain forms of authority. And I think yeah. that's what Deleuze, that's what, what I understand Deleuze's project to be is like breaking away from that and being like, actually, it's because of the fact that you're thinking about desire in this way that is it's that. That, again, from my very little knowledge, that's...
1: Yeah, because it's it's hard from... like That's another thing that I know Todd McGowan, who's a guy who explains a lot of Zizek in a podcast. He has a podcast and he's a professor, well-respected thinker. And I remember uh, he has a conversation with Zizek in one of his podcasts. And they were talking about whether leftism can ever really have like a system of and they're both lacanians see and they they're whether the left can have a system of governance that is anti-state like Mm. not and that's an interesting question because like i i really find it hard to like use a lacanian lens and not and to envision something outside of that paradigm
2: yeah like a
1: kind of master signifier where it's like there isn't like a, you know, a a daddy in charge. And and here, and what's troubling too, is you see a lot of Marxist Leninists, right? Who kind of worship figures a lot. Yes. Yes. Like they'll be like Lenin, uh, Mao, Stalin and stuff. And like, I I don't, I think there's some, there's some weight to Marxism, Leninism and like the third world, especially, or the developing world. Not correct to say third world, but, um, meaning it like really sometimes the only option, but, it's a little worrying sometimes that people get drawn to the idea of like a vanguard party. Yeah. yeah it's like, how are we going to decide who that is? First of all. And second, it's like the fact that they want that it does fit into kind of, you know, daddy paradigm, if you know what I mean.
2: There was a religiosity to it, you know, um, you know, they, they have the saints, <laughs> you know, you saints Luxembourg, saints Stalin, <laughs> And um, the various denominations that come through, and again, that's again, that's the, this is the general um, conflict when people um, on the left talk to Marxist Leninists, is precisely on this basis, is that.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of pre-
2: from should we move on from this? Is there new ways of envisioning X, Y, Z? you know?
1: Yeah, well I remember yeah, well in in your song with space babies, you kind of guys you kinda of kind of perform that debate a little exactly bit. Exactly, right. Like yeah. in that in that song where it's like you kind of were playing you're playing Kotsky, who I wouldn't it's not really anti state, actually. <laughs> but uh but uh but is is you know didn't was against the Vanguard party, whereas versus Lenin, who's kind of like, yeah, obviously for that. And Space Babies being also like a good rapper as well. Yeah. Uh and um, he's like, a, he's like, a, I think he's a Maoist. Maoist. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was kind of interesting, that dynamic right there. Uh, like space, space Babies is really dope. Another dope artist like, uh, like yourself. He's a Marxist Leninist, whereas I'm kind of, I guess, more like a postmodern Marxist. <laughs> so I'm not really f- fully there yet, but I'll have him on this show as well too, because I love, like, honestly, you and Space Babies are the only two people I know who are really doing this like rap theory yeah, he's Stuff, it's, really yeah.
2: about it as well. Yeah, yeah he has a good <laughs> flow. It's <is> crazy. <laughs> he has like a yeah. songs on his channel.
1: Yeah, it's surprising. Yeah, for sure. No, but uh, yeah, if um, I would really I would really like to see you do an episode on Adorno. On Adorno, I'm so ignorant of
2: everyone on the Frankfurt School except for Marcuse. Marcuse simply because I think he 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 hits the nail on the head with literally everything he writes. But I am very—it's uh, unfortunate because I know that Adorno also talks a lot about music,
1: and um, apparently so you would lo- you would love Adorno, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Okay,
1: okay. Maybe you would also hate Adorno, but you would li- like Adorno. <laughs> Beautiful. I'll,
2: I'll I'll definitely look into that. I'll definitely look into Adorno. You've given me th- you give me three very interesting things to
1: look into: Baudrillard, um, uh Goffman, and uh, Adorno. Yeah. And you give me those uh, Iranian rappers and producers also to listen to. That would be really good. But um, yeah, like I just want to quickly touch on this is uh, in your fascist body politics uh, video that you made. Because when you're talking, you talk kind of about um, how sort of this idea of a reason in that uh, everything has to be quantifiable, measurable. Yeah, yeah, this exactly. obsession with that measuring like body measurements or yes. IQ or, yes. you know, that, that, that's something that's a big part of Adorno and Horkheimer's project um, in Dialectic of the Enlightenment.
2: Enlightenment, right, right, right.
1: Yeah, and kind of like instrumental reason, they kind of argue, which is like, of course, like a product of modernity, sort of gave rise to fascism.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I, like I, I read it when i was very young i didn't understand anything so i just put it aside but
1: on, <laughs> on that note i do need to revisit yeah they're, they're not the easiest thinkers but yeah I, I would like to see that that'd be really cool cool like cool. A, i do know for sure awesome. but yeah it was uh it was really nice having you on man
2: absolute pleasure one absolute pleasure
1: thank yeah, you 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 I'm, I'm sure you'll probably be a guest uh, again in the future so, yeah, I would recommend the listeners to definitely go check out uh Artin's channel. It makes really good stuff, and um go subscribe to him. And if you enjoyed, uh please share with your friends, I'd be fantastic.
0: Bojala was the sharpest critic, his work made the plot of a matrix pivot. But this is no neo or morpheus action, this is how humans tend to in the 1960s saw technology get so nifty with the digital economy information got a size reduction turned society onto mass consumption marx said values the labor involved exchange value is the price that it sold use value how it's useful behold sign value never moves all this old marxist theory to dust New Order is the brand that you trust. That's Jesus, Jesus, a butthead and Beavis. Each is a sign that eventually breathes us into the Matrix, comparing our signs to see which one of our identities.